Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Well, aren't you glad to be at church this morning? Yeah? No uh, extra preamble this morning. We're going to jump straight into the book of Jude. Straight into the book of Jude. And um, as you're turning there, trying to find your way there, uh, if you weren't here last week, you go to maps, work your way backward through the book of Revelation. This little book looks like an introduction to Revelation, and in some ways it really is. Um, As we prepare for this, I I want you to know uh, that there was a short while ago a huge mystery that was happening in the world. Now, if I were to ask you to come up with your own opinion of what that mystery might have been in 1995, it probably would have had a thousand guesses, but I bet you wouldn't have uh, seen this little thing that was going on in the scientific community. There was a picture they found, something that they found on the seabed floor in Japan, uh, and it would happen on a regular basis. And, and what they could not figure out with mathematical perfection, this little symbol would show up in different places around the islands that were there. It's about six foot across. I think we have a picture for scale of a diver that's next to it. Um, they would just pop up. And in 1995, they saw these and they began to study them. And as they were studying, they came up with all kinds of conclusions. It went into different scientific magazines, different people were having discussions. Is it possible that there was something that had like a foot, you know, that just kind of... Uh, stepped on the ground that was there? Is there an electromagnetic pulse that's coming from all the different activity that's happening on the islands? Is there some kind of weird dude that he's so bored, lost his job, and he's just down there with tools sculpting these things, hoping that somebody would see? Now, they're in places that nobody should have noticed them, and for 10 years, they're investigating this, and they come up with all kinds of wild theories. Crazy. And as they are studying... And uh, searching this out, it turns out that nobody had it right. The, the thing that was creating these circles on the ground was actually a three-inch spotted puffer fish. There he is. Look at him. <laughs> this little guy, he was, that's what he looks like when he sees the camera. The next picture <laughs> is what he actually looks like in real life. There he is. Three-inch spotted fish. Three-inch. Now, just imagine, three inches. This thing is creating something that is over six feet across. You saw the scale there with a the guy that was looking at it. He creates these little things. It takes him nine days, working 24 hours a day. This little dude is trying to create a nest that his future uh, four-second bride (laughs) will appreciate. Ten years later, they actually find this little guy working and working and working uh, his fins off, trying to create a nest. And what they found was that that design isn't just something that comes up in his head. It actually slows down the movement of the ocean by 25% and creates a washing movement that actually creates soft silt that will land in the middle that's a perfect place to lay eggs. He then proceeds to guard it. Uh, He takes care of all of the cleaning and vacuuming. (laughs) You can watch him. He'll actually go through the whole process of picking up these shells and putting them on the corners, which actually adds to stability in those different areas and allows that machine washing process to last a little bit longer. He picks up any algae. He fights off any uh, big guys that come his way. At three inches, almost everything is a predator. 
And he's fighting it all off. And he does all of this in order to create that scene. Why do I show you that at the beginning of our talk about the book of Jude? Here here is a scientific conundrum in our world, things that we can see. We come across them, 1995. You go all the way back to the beginning of time. We did not know. In fact, this is a discovery of a new species in, in essence. They were not aware that this little dude was down there doing those things until 1995. There are things about the world right now that you and I don't know. Are you aware of that? There are things about the world right now that you and I would see and we would begin to guess as to why they exist or what it is that they're doing or how they are accomplished, and we would guess completely wrong. Scientists, people that were, uh, study the ocean floor, all of these people with ology on the back of their name or ologists on the back of their name, they got it all wrong. They did not expect a three-inch little dude dragging his fin around down there whistling cleaning up the seabed floor to be the answer. The importance of that is we're going to come to the book of Jude, and there are some things that we will see in here. And last week, we talked about the identity of apostates. God actually gives us 13 different descriptors of those who are apostates and inside of the church. And we highlighted the fact that those, that list is static. God says, this is the characteristics of those individuals. And he puts it into scripture because it wasn't just a problem for Jude's time. Anytime that God is on the move and the church is beginning to grow, you're going to see folks like these begin to creep in and try to undo what is happening. So here's Jude saying that. And, and as we begin to look at things that are around us, here is the concern that scripture has. You will start guessing as to what is the answer rather than listening to what is the answer. The goal of apostate teachers, the goal of the world, the goal of our sin nature is to get you to start thinking on your own separate from God's opinion and his way. God's word must be paramount. Amen? Amen? It's got to be paramount. Uh, Now, uh, just a side note. Both Pete and I have had people come to us and they're saying, what? Did somebody do that you guys would preach on Jude? <laughs> Who are they? Just send them away, okay? Uh, th- there's nobody in Target. We're just preaching through Scripture, and this is one of the reasons that we picked the book of Jude. Uh, it's a secondary reason. It wasn't primary. We just felt like this was actually something that's really relevant today. But one of the secondary reasons was, as we began to tell people we're going to preach through the book of Jude, they were like, yeah, that's awesome. Is that in the Old Testament or the New We have forgotten this little book, or we have read it and found it hard, and so we have not taken time to listen to it. But Jude is begging for you to listen to the arguments that are here. So we're just going to read, last week we read the entire uh, thing. Once again, nobody's in view. We're just reading these scriptures. We're going to go back over the same scriptures that we looked at last week and look at a couple of other things that I think are important for you in this day and age. Let's stand and read verses 5. Through 16. Jude's already gone through his preamble there, and he says, Now I want to remind you, although you came to know all these things once for all, remember that, that Jesus saved a people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their own position but abandoned their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains in deep darkness for judgment on that great day. Likewise, 
Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns committed sexual immorality and perversions and serve as an example of those undergoing punishment of eternal fire. In the same way, these people, relying on their dreams, defile their flesh, reject authority, slander glorious ones. Yet when Michael the archangel was disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses' body, he did not dare utter a slanderous condemnation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme anything they don't understand. What they do understand by instinct, like irrational animals, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. They have plunged into Balaam's error for profit. They have perished in Korah's rebellion. These people are dangerous reefs at your love feasts as they eat with you without reverence. They are shepherds who look out only for themselves. They're waterless clouds carried along with winds, trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead, uprooted. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shameful deeds, wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness is reserved forever. It was about these that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, look, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly concerning all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and concerning all the harsh things the ungodly sinners have said against him. Just a side note, anytime that something is repeated over and over and over again, God wants you to hear that word, okay? That seems repetitive, but he's trying to make a point. These people are discontented grumblers, living according to their desires, their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. Do you believe that that is still a threat today? You may be seated. I'm going to pray and I'm going to have us make a couple of observations here. Father, as we've looked at this passage, we've seen um, those people, the ones that you're referring to, the ones that we're supposed to watch out for, the ones that will infiltrate the church. They will use the church for their own gain. They will distract the church so that it won't focus on your word or your way. Uh, They will attack the church from the inside. Father, you've warned us to be careful, not to be bitter not to be blaming, not to go on a witch hunt, but to be warned. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to be warned, but also still to be those filled with compassion. The book of Jude highlights that we are to look at anybody who is caught up in error or who is even professing error as an object of potential grace. You have already had mercy. Anyone that comes to you, Father, will be saved. We're not to be in judgment, we're to be warned and to make sure that we're not following into that same trap of error, that we're not being wrapped up by it. And I pray today that you would help us to learn also Jude's arguments. How did he face this trial? What did he use uh, as armament? What way did he discuss it? Help us to be thoughtful as we engage problems in a way that puts you on display, glory and grace, not anger. I pray, Father, that you would help us not to be fearful but to be filled with faith, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want you to to notice something as we go back through this. Uh, We we covered some uh, heavy things last week, but I told you last week um, the reasons or some of the things that Jude does, he actually highlights some extra biblical 
teachers in order to make his point. And this week I wanted to be able to share with you why I think that he does that. And so I want us to work towards that conclusion. I want you to see some of the things that Jude does as he prepares you to understand what is actually happening. To wake up in the fog of war and realize there's some stuff happening right near us that might not be healthy and how are we to address it? But the first thing I want you to notice is this little phrase here. It happens multiple times in this book. It happens other times in the New Testament, but Jude uses it purposefully here. He says, now I want to remind you, although you came to know all these things once and for all. That's the second time that he's used that inside of just a couple of verses. You know all of these things once and for all. Uh, Paul uses this phrase. Peter uses this phrase or one that is similar to it. Uh, especially when they are talking about what Jesus Christ did once and for all. He died once, it's good for all time, amen? He doesn't have to die over and over again, he doesn't have to reapply that. Uh, He died one time, it is good for all time. Christ's death, burial, and resurrection is for you. You don't have to wait for him to create an opening or to create more blood or to do another sacrifice, it is sufficient. It is perfect, once for all. But it's also the implication that's given of those who are on the road to Emmaus, that they actually learn thing about, things about Jesus from Jesus that they were to be reminded of. Uh, some say 10, some say 12 different allusions that are here in the book of Jude. This is the implication. Almost every other verse in the book of Jude contains a story from the Old Testament. The entire thing is focused on gospel truth. And the implication to you is you should know all these things and the stories that surround them. I want us to go on a, a quiz, and, I, and, I'm, and there is a point, I promise, okay? <laughs> a little quiz. I want us to go through this, and you just shout out if you know the answers when you see them, okay? How much do you know? I wanted to talk about the biggest myths of our culture. Which of the four Hogwarts houses was Harry a member of? Just shout it out. Gryffindor, there you got it. All right, second one. Uh, what position was Harry playing on the Gryffindor Quidditch team? Was he the weirdo? No, yeah. The answer is secret. How many of you guys got that right? All right, hands. You can raise your hands up high if you got it right. Next one. What kind of pet does Harry own? What was her name? An owl named Hedwig. All right. Yeah, there you go. One more. Uh, another group here. Star Wars. What weapon does the Jedi Knight use? Chopsticks? How many say lightsaber? Yeah, you got that right? Just raise your hand if you got that right. All right, next one. What's the actual name of Baby Yoda? Was it Gary? Grogu, you guys got that right? All right, yeah. There's Grogu. Who's Luke's father? Now, listen, this is a trick question. It's not Larry. How many of you think it's Darth Vader? Okay, there we go. It's actually, okay, there we go. You guys know all this stuff. Wow, you guys are great. Who says do or do not? There's no try. Your mom? (laughs) You can thank uh, Amanda for that. Uh, Yoda, the Emperor Boba Fett. Who is it? There you go. Next one. Different genre. Captain Kirk's middle name. James, this is a little bit of a secret. What is it? There it is. Tiberius. Next one. For doc- oh, there you go. Does it change from scene to scene? No, it's always bones, right? Okay, there you go. Only the old guys got that. 
Primary character in Dune. There you go, Paula Trudy's. I heard it shouted out. Okay, hang on right now. Uh, anyone that's older than a millennial just got bothered by this whole quiz. Okay, <laughs> let's go back to Star Wars. Last couple of things here. Planet Acarus is desert planet. It's called Dune. The book we're looking at, okay, by the way, is Dune. That's a hint. Next one, which is considered the first Avenger. Ant-Man, Iron Man, Burning Man. That's just for you guys. Or Captain America. Captain America, yes. For those of you who thought it was Iron Man, no, he was a secondary character until a cool guy played him. All right? Next one, where does Thor derive his powers? The moon, the sun, Asgard, or from just trying his best? Asgard. All right. How many comics has Marvel released since 2019? I, I'm assuming that's a greater than sign there, greater than 100, 1,038, 5,610, 36,570. Which one do you think it is? The answer is, that's just since 2019. Why? Because they got you all hooked. Why did I labor that? Do you want to know why most people have told me that they haven't delved into the opening verses in the book of Jude? Because some of the stuff sounds like myth and it's weird. Okay? You know all of these stories that are for sure myth, weird, fables. You know all of the backstories. You know where Luke's family came from. You know about midichlorians. Okay? Some of you have checked your own blood hoping. The assumption that Jude makes, he doesn't actually dive into all of the theology to this. Do you want to know why? He believes that you've been reading your Bible and anticipating answers, and you know the stories around the stories. You know what has been carried alongside Scripture all of this time. You understood before you heard from Paul in the book that Janice and Jambres were always considered to be those two magicians who had helped lead Israel astray. They were trying to thwart Israel when they were in Egypt. You understood some of the storylines that are in here when it says you came to know these things once and for all. Jesus saved a group of people out of Egypt. Do you know any scriptures that would support that? 1 Corinthians 10, give you a good uh, background for that. Just write that down. You can see four different examples there of the type of sin that they actually accomplished. But it said that Jesus is the rock, the spiritual rock, guiding them through the I am where he says, my name will be with you. The angel of my presence is going before you, that he actually is in the rock. You will see him there. He was in the bush. You'll see him there. You'll actually see that at times Moses is seeing a presence and we skip over it because we think the bush is just burning, the rock is just there, and it's just a story. Jesus went through and explained all of these things to his men. And Judah saying, you already know these stories. But do you know that most of us can't even place where those stories fall in the Bible? You can talk about Paul Atreides and describe that little weird thing that goes into his nose in the book of Dune, but you can't describe what's happening in Scripture. Jude's assuming that you know and care about these stories. Why? Because God didn't write anything down to just entertain you. He's trying to tell you about things that you need to know, and in some things it's just a glimpse so that it will capture your mind and help you to think about him, but he wants you to care about the Bible. If you get nothing else this morning, get that. 
But Jude assumes that God wants you to know the truth. Scripture has a point, and it is not to prove yours. Okay? Jude uses a refined hermeneutic, the science and art of studying Scripture. Not just stories, but stories that are connected by patterns that make a point that draw you to Jesus and focus on the gospel. Now, I do want you to notice a a couple of things there. Uh, Research how it is that Jesus saved the people out of Egypt. How is that true? Um, Verse 6, and angels who did not keep their own position but abandoned their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains in deep darkness. Second author in the New Testament to highlight this specific moment this way. Uh, Peter does this as well. In Second Peter, you can uh, read that. They are both referring to Genesis chapter 6 when it says the sons of God, a term that is only used for angelic beings all the way through the Old Testament. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they came down. They left their proper dwelling and they took them for them wives. Uh, this is a storyline that includes the Nephilim. I just want you to write this down if you're intrigued by that. If you enter in uh, who were the Nephilim in your Google search bar, all right, and you go to two different websites, Got Questions has a great discussion with multiple views. That's what I want you to see. And Southern Seminary has a video. Both of them are videos for those of you that need to be entertained, okay? One is a really weird looking guy with a bushy mustache. You just got to see that for its sake. The Bible Project, in an episode called Satan and Demons, a Q&A, actually walks through the fact uh, that this was the only understood view until well after the church has been established and scripture has been brought together. The predominant view, angels and women. Jude is assuming that you understand that. There is something that happens between two places where people do not keep their proper abode and there's a violation that happens coming towards women. In Genesis chapter six, he says in the same way, Sodom and Gomorrah, so active in their passions, their lusts, and their violence, if you read that storyline, you go back into the Old Testament and see it, you will see that they actually were wanting to also violate that angelic human barrier unknowingly because of their passions. They're so captivated with their lusts and they were so destructive they were not aware that they were in the presence of angelic beings. He says in the same way, this is how getting stirred up and just moving by your desires will lead you to a place you're not even aware that you're making a violation that's so destructive God has to punish it. That's the point he's making. He highlights Cain, Balaam, Korah, the children of Israel, antediluvian, that's before uh, the flood, angels, Sodom, Gomorrah, and judgment in all of his stories. Jude, just 25 verses. Every other verse is filled with an Old Testament connotation. And Jude's stories all note three things. Three things that tie them all together. One, the problem was revealed in their worship. Think of the story of Cain. Think of the story of the sons of Korah. They decide they're going to come bring their own incense. I'm going to worship God the way that I want to. Cain wants to come and say, I want to worship God the way that I want. I want you to appreciate me. Korah says, I want you to appreciate me. These uh, folks that were irritated with God, it says that their, their cry came up to him. It's always a picture of worship in the Old Testament. Their worship was hindered because they were focused on themselves. The problem was revealed through worship. Their attitude destroyed fellowship and community. 
It's harder to get further in destroying community than killing your own brother, all right? That's an easy one. But how did it destroy fellowship and community when the children of Israel refused to go into the promised land? Something God said, this is where you're supposed to be. And they say, no, we won't go. The whole community gets disrupted. Moment after moment after moment, God has to crush the opposition so that he can bless them. His whole desire and punishment is to bring blessing. Their attitude destroyed fellowship or community. And third, God's word or warning was explained away. That's the thing that ties it together. In the book of Jude, what he says is, you will actually have people that will sneak in. You will hear the word of God read, described, and unpacked for you. And somebody will say, that's not what it means because it's not telling me what I want to be able to do. I want to worship the way that I want to worship. I want to do the things that I want to do. And I think there's a way I can make this scripture say what I want it to say. And they force it that direction. They create confusion. They cause believers to go silent and not speak up. They cause you to walk around with your head down and stepping to the back of the room. He says, do you want to know the truth? The truth is already here. I've given it to you. He says, I just want you to stand for the truth. But the second thing. Third thing that Jude assumes here is Jude assumes that you want to make a case for the truth. Not just know it, but make a case for it. He uses a process of arguing for truth here that I think we need to learn from. He doesn't just use a hermeneutic. That's the way that you interpret scripture. And that is looking for the storylines, the point that God was trying to make and tying those together. Jude also employs a powerful apologetic That's an argument that's used to defend the faith. Jude uses extra biblical arguments here. That means that these storylines, what he is quoting here is not coming directly out of the Bible, but God says it is true. He uses multiple extra biblical arguments here. I want you to notice that this isn't the only person in scripture to do this. Paul does it. Jesus is quoting sometimes from outside there, Moses, Solomon, all the way through the scriptures. If there is truth that's on the outside and God says it's important for you to understand and wrap your mind around it, God will polish it up and put it in scripture. That's when it's his desire when he says that it is inspired. Paul quotes three pagan philosophers. You can look that up on your own in the book of Acts. He quotes Eretritus, Meander in Acts and in 1 Corinthians, and Epimendes in Titus. One time he quotes Jewish tradition, that's Janus and Jambres, where this Jewish tradition has gone along ever since they were in uh, the Old Testament. Do you know that some of the things that, that uh, they observed, they could pack along through oral tradition and still be right? Is it possible that you could be in a car accident? We, we talked about this last week, that you could be in a car accident. You go through a car accident, you see everything that happened, you understand what was happening inside the car, but there could be an outside observer who is watching different things and say, well, I also, it seemed like this was going on or it seemed like that was going on and they could see something that was true from the outside and yet not be the one that was inside the car that knew what was really happening. It's possible. It's also possible that you thought you saw something, okay, and you could be wrong. The only person who knows in scripture whether the people that were observing what was going on whether what they observed or their opinions were true, is God. And the only time we can lean on it and say that is scripture is if God says, oh yeah, they had it right. But it is possible that truth can be observed from the outside. Jude does three things 
that you can do and one thing that only God can do. Okay? When he uses extra biblical literature. Three things that you can do. If it highlights extra biblical stories, if it highlights or illustrates truth, I can reference it. Uh, Just a short while ago, there was a couple of guys who have been adamantly against Christianity. Okay? Against Christianity. And in, in... Every single respect, when you bring up the intelligent design argument, that's just the idea that all of the, the earth, all of creation seems to have a designer. Somebody has put this together. They would fight against that idea. But Neil deGrasse Tyson has actually come out as really in favor of a model of the universe that says this, we might be a computer generated, we might be living inside of a computer program. As he says, he says we have all the benefits of it. Why? Because it looks like we're perfectly tuned to just not be able to discover certain things, but discover these things. And it looks like everything is just in the perfect place. He's actually making an argument for intelligent design in the most unintelligent way. I don't want to say there's a God, and he gives his reasons why, but he does say there's elements for design. Richard Dawkins famously believes that we have all the elements, that DNA and the way that life appears on the earth. Now, he still uses some some wild uh, evolutionary jumps that cannot take place. But he says that we show evidence all along of being tinkered with. We are probably being set up by an alien civilization that's far more advanced than we are. And when questioned about why, he says, well, there's just evidence of design. If there's evidence of design... Doesn't that point you to the idea that there might be a God? I can use that information because it illustrates the truth that Scripture's been saying the whole time that there is somebody outside of the entire mechanism that created all of these things and desires for you to know him. Do you know that? I can quote those because it highlights or illustrates the truth even though those guys oppose the truth. Secondly, if it aligns or explains truth, I can lean on it. There's a a group of scientists right now that are up on Mount Ararat. They are coming from uh, schools of thought and from backgrounds that are decidedly unchristian. But they believe now that they have found Noah's Ark. This is their statement. We believe we found Noah's Ark. There are some pictures that attend to this because the ice has begun to retreat and they found this outline. They have found dirt and debris and uh, evidence of animals and an altar and all of these things that surround this great big It looks like an outline of a ship that is there. These are not believers. They're quoting names like Noah's Ark. And they say, well, why in the world would you call it Noah's Ark? And they said, because this is the historic place where this would have taken place. It looks like these artifacts are over 5,000 years old, five to 7,000 years old. And they said, and it's all stuff, debris and, and material that is not native to this area. Nothing else around it looks like it. And you look at the outline that they've just taken. This is just in the last couple of weeks. They, begun, they are claiming that they found Noah's Ark. And somebody said, well, why would you call it Noah's Ark? Why not just call it, you know, somebody's big boat? <laughs> if it's the exact dimensions. Why are they calling it Noah's Ark? Because subtly inside their heart, they've always believed that there's truth to those stories. It aligns with the truth. Third, if it agrees or pushes me towards scripture as truth, I can trust it. Hear the words. It pushes me towards scripture as truth. Do you know that there are some people out there, you might not agree with them in all areas, but if they're pushing you towards scripture as truth, read the word, focus on the word, respond to what the word says, 
you can trust what those guys say. But if something makes a claim to truth that is inspiration, only God can say that's inspired. Only God can tell us what scripture is. Amen? There's a whole set of rules for that. We can't unpack them this morning. But if it makes a claim to inspiration, only God can confirm it. And Jude says these statements are inspired truth. Why is that something only he can do? Because some of us are so committed to lies, we just can't be moved off them. There's a story of a little kid that, that was such a bad liar. He lied every single day. He never showed up at school at the right time. Uh, he was always an irritation to his parents, to his teachers, and to all the people that were around him. He kept coming in late, and his principal finally calls the, the folks, and he's like, hey, I, your kid is a liar, and he's a little bit of a problem. And they said, I know. We don't know what to do about it. And, and uh, the principal said, I'm just going to embarrass him with how obvious his lies are. Is it okay? I'm just going to tell him the biggest lie possible. And when he knows that that's a lie and tells me I'm a liar, I'm just going to out him and say, that's how you come off. And so the little boy shows up three hours late to school. He says, I, I couldn't come to school. I was, I was going to be early, but I caught a 17 pound trout. And, and my mom always said, if I don't clean them and freeze them, she's going to get really mad. So I had to stay home to put this thing in the freezer. And the principal says, come here, sit down. He said, you know what? While I was on the way, I, I was walking to school and I live 30 miles away and I was early and this bear 25 feet tall seven ton bear came out and it was snarling and it was chasing me and just before it got a hold of me a little tiny dog I mean a little tiny dog came out barked at that bear slowed it down and proceeded to eat the entire bear what do you think about that and the little boy looks at him and says, I know, that's my dog, Sparky. That's his third bear this week. <laughs> Some people just cannot be moved off of their lies. They won't see it. They won't see yours. They're going to join in it. Only person that you can trust when it comes to whether or not a tradition is true is God. Otherwise, there's some interesting things, but do not die for those things. We are to focus on scripture, amen? He wants you to know the truth, make a case for truth, but the final thing, Jude assumes that you will want to apply it. Karl Barth famously said, I've read many books, but the Bible reads me. Jude assumes that you're gonna want to apply what God says here. Can I tell you something here? Not sell you something. I want you to hear this. We do lots of messages at the church. We preach over and over again, Pete and I, uh, pray over what material might get shared. And from time to time, somebody will say, I enjoyed that or thank you. But we know that the spirit of God is on the move when people begin to come up and say, was that list about me? Or they come up convicted and begin to say, I think I have some of those characteristics. Or they sneak in from the side and say, I, I don't know. I, I think the people around me think that I'm in this list. That's been happening as we're reading the book of Jude. Conviction begins to seep in. Now the worst thing that can happen in those moments is that you and I would shake it off and just move back to our regular life. Say, oh wow, that conviction, that stuff is bothersome. I am not gonna deal with it. But the word of God moves in and assumes 
that you want to realign your feet and get right. It starts with repentance. It moves on in faith. The book of Jude assumes he is writing to a group of people. He's going to say some incredible things. He's going to assume that you know the theology. He's going to drive you back to your Bible. But the entire reason that he doesn't develop all the theology is he's pointing you to the end saying you need to live right and you need to reach over to somebody else who is struggling and help them live right. Our goal is that we would all get there before the living God safe. Not because we're great or because we're strong, but because he is great and he's the only one who can forgive us for our error in our thinking. Amen? So grab somebody and take them with you is the point of the book. He wants you to apply the truth. Jude expects you to crave a biblical ethic or to have a biblical ethic. That's the moral standards that guide your behavior. The goal in this book, and we're going to unpack this over the next two weeks, is to focus on righteousness, not just being right. He doesn't develop the theology because he wants you to land on the call to be something. Be merciful, be like Jesus, make sure that you're thinking right. Righteousness, not just being right. And focus on mercy, not being mad. He does not do this to stir up your anger and say, go get them. Notice that in the book. He says, make sure you get your head right and then reach into the fire, it says, and pull out others who are dragged into this false thinking and are running the wrong direction. He gives us a biblical ethic. The goal, folks, is not just knowing the truth or being able to explain the truth, but it's living the truth in such a way that the people around us are blessed. Amen? That is the goal of the book of Jude. It's the goal of God's word. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give us wisdom, that you would help us to know just how to apply these things. Uh, You have asked us in your word to consider hard things. Uh, These aren't messages that just uh, are are easy listening, that are um, candy canes and popcorn moments. These are meant for us to begin to look inside our soul and and you bring at times a a brillo brush. You, You scrub out those things that need to be cleansed in order that we would look to you with clean hearts. Father, I pray that the first thing that we would do is consider our own actions, our own steps. If there's any way that we have offended you or the people that are around us because we have clung to false ideas, we have run after things that are divisive and harmful, Father, we pray that you'd help us to repent, make short work of that. Help us to be quick to repent, but also quick to forgive. Father, I pray that you would help us as a church not just to be pure, not just to be known for uh, believing right things, but to act right in a world that is desperate for some kind word. We pray that you would help us to share the good news, grace and mercy found in Jesus, not us, found in Jesus. And that your word is so sure it can point us to what we should be focused on. Father, I do pray you'd help us to crave truth and to know how to explain it. But help us most of all to be ministers of mercy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.